0: as taken from Exodus, chapter 20, and reading verses 1 to 6. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. let's pray with those words from the Bible open before us. And it's our prayer, Heavenly Father, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your law. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, Edward mentioned, we began last week with a series... On the Ten Commandments, and we looked therefore at uh, the First Commandment last week, no other gods before me or in my presence, as perhaps it's more literally translated, no false gods. Uh, This week we're on to the Second Commandment, and you might be forgiven, I suppose, for thinking that to do so is to ignore the obvious topic for consideration. If football matches have been put on hold, couldn't we reasonably interrupt the series for consideration of the momentous events of this last week, the death of our Queen of 70 years, with all the emotions that that brings, and a new king, to say nothing of a new prime minister, all inside a week. There's plenty of matter for thought and meditation. But I've decided not to change the topic. When the Diamond Jubilee celebration happened in June, uh, there was a striking thing that happened at that point. The Sunday coincided with Pentecost, the feast in the Christian calendar celebrating the sending of the Holy Spirit. But the guidance from Buckingham Palace was to the effect then that any celebration of Elizabeth's 70 years happening on the Sunday should not take over the services and somehow relegate Pentecost to a footnote. That was not, I take it, the wish of the Queen. And I want to honour the Ten Commandments, and particularly the Second Commandment, by giving due consideration to it, even when our nation has its attention focused on very significant events which have great impact, not least on our hearts. I hope that won't be a further sadness to you, but it is my conviction that what God says to us in this book is never more needed than at times like this. There's a preface to the Ten Commandments, which... Val read to us in our reading in Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words, all these words, and they must therefore all be heeded. Even the second commandment, which I suppose many, if we're honest, might struggle to recall. There's a story about somebody whose job it was to set exams, And they were hard at it one Saturday night, setting papers for the next exam period. And the very next day, this guy was still very tired when he got himself to church. And he got up to read the Bible passage, which just happened to be the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And in a blur of tiredness, he finished the reading saying, not this is the word of the Lord, but instead... Not more than four of these are to be attempted. (laughs) Now, we might easily edit down the Ten Commandments to three or four. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. But the second might easily not feature in our list. So let me at least reread it again in your hearing. It's nice to have short texts in a series so that we can Reread the words of scripture again. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now what is this prohibition of idolatry saying? Forgive me if I try to summarize it in three headings for you. The essence of idolatry first. And I want to put it like this. The essence of idolatry, forbidden in this second commandment, is to worship the true God in a false way by, in the language of the commandment, making images or likenesses of anything in creation and worshipping and bowing down to them. Um, As I said, it's fruitful to ponder the difference between the first commandment and this one. The first one is saying no false gods, uh, including, of course, false religions or false inappropriate items which people give their lives to. You could uh, talk about money being such a false god, for example. That's the first commandment. There's a different tone to the second one, although there is obviously some overlap between the two. Don't worship the true god in a false way. If he's the maker of all things and all creation is covered and mentioned in the command, then it cannot be right to bow down to anything that he has made and give that created item our devotion, love, and worship. Don't worship the true God in a false way. I could say even in a nearly true Way, which is by definition going to be a false representation of him. In the history of the people of Israel, you will remember that uh, even as the commandments were being given and communicated on the mountain, Mount Sinai, at that very point, as Moses was effectively relearning the second commandment um, uh, himself. At that very point, down below, the Israelites had created a golden calf and were worshipping it. And there's an extraordinary detail to that story as it's recounted in in Exodus. The jewellery that they'd plundered from the Egyptians as they left them was taken brought to Moses' brother Aaron and melted down, and a golden calf was fashioned from it. But there's an interesting creedal statement that Aaron asked them to say as they worshipped that uh, calf, that golden calf, because it was nearly true in some ways what they were up to. Aaron had them say, These are your gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of Egypt. It's worshipping the true God in a false way. There are aspects of the truth, the rescue from Egypt, that were mentioned there. Why the calf? Well, I suppose uh, it was a pointer to the fact that many of the surrounding nations were were dedicated to farming. And this was a picture of fertility and strength. And uh, it was a way of eliciting, I suppose, in, in the surrounding nations Uh, a longing that God would bless and bring prosperity to their endeavors as farmers, an agricultural nation in that sense. So this was a visible representation of the invisible God that they had. Remember they said, we don't know where Moses is, he could be gone for ages. And we want a a close-up, personal God we can worship, visible And it's got to be like other people's. That's the temptation. This is the essence of idolatry that is being highlighted in the Bible and uh, brought to our attention by this second commandment. I had a a funny thing that happened. Sometimes, if you're a preacher, the sermon pixies come in the middle of the night and give you an idea that you think, I've got to get up and write this down. And, And I had this moment earlier in the week where I thought, "Um." with the children doing this commandment at the 9.30 service should I have a sort of family interaction moment and get them in their family groupings to come up with the sort of God that they would uh, the best sort of false God that they could invent what what would it be because I I, I had sort of imagination going as to sort of all sorts of options they might have and I'm I'm glad it was a a late night sermon pixie that uh, got shell because of course we don't need any encouragement to dream up wrong-headed ideas about almighty god we will do it naturally one of the reformers is john calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols we love to shrink him down to a size we can control i'll say more about that in a moment, but that was what was going on in the history of Israel, um, even as the second commandment was being pronounced to Moses, the golden calf incident, and the fact that their idol was like the gods of the nations around them, the gods of the nations to which they were heading. It just, it's just—it's just worth pondering that for a moment. In much of the talk about uh, other religions, there's, a, there's a, a loose conversation about us all having many paths up the same mountain. One of the things that's been uh, rightly commented on in relation to the Queen is the respect for other faiths that she had. And I think that's absolutely right. Respect, yes. But actually it doesn't respect other religions to say that uh, all the religions of the world are the same. They manifestly aren't. And it's an unclear confusion that often creeps into our language as we talk about the true and living God. If we begin to worship him in false ways, I can delicately put it like that. So the essence of idolatry. The attraction of idolatry, I've already implied, is that we love to shrink God down to a size we can control, make him more manageable for us, hence A visible representation is described in this second commandment. There's that story about a little child talking theology with um, their mum. You know how children ask the most complicated questions of parents and grandparents. And then as the questions get answered, they then pursue those answers with really merciless logic. Mummy, this child asked, is God in all the world? Yes, darling, she said confidently. You've got a very robust theology of God's imminence. So is he in, in our, our house then? Yes, dear, he's in our house. Does that mean he's here? In our kitchen? And by this time she's getting slightly nervous at this point. Yes, darling. So is he in this container? This Tupperware container? Well, I suppose so. Yes. Got him, said the boy as he clapped his hand onto the top of the container. Um, That temptation to shrink God down to a manageable size is in all of our hearts. That's why we want to design a God that's visible or that is at least manageable and of our own construction, our own invention in our minds. We control him. We look to that God for our comfort. He's to serve us rather than we him if I can put it like that. I had in the uh, first service <laughs> a, a comforting blanket. And I didn't want to be... I don't, I, I'm not sure I would have been endeared myself to the, uh, the parents because I'm sure that quite a lot of the children there do have such comforting blankets. There's nothing wrong with a comforting blanket in one sense, is it? We need comfort at times. And probably at the moment in our national life there's a need for comfort in one sense. But a blanket cannot ultimately administer comfort. And constructing our own God, it's very attractive to have the sort of false God or false image of the true God that will administer comfort to us. But a a blanket, an idol, cannot actually deliver on that. Not ultimately. So, what's the antidote to idolatry? We've thought about the essence of idolatry, the attraction of idolatry. Let me just close on the antidote. And I think the answer to that is a truer knowledge of God. Those two verses that come after or fill out the commandments in Exodus 20 are significant. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to these images or worship them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So I want to encourage myself and point all of you to a, a, a deeper, truer knowledge of God as the antidote to idolatry. And we find that, do we not, in the pages of scripture. In those verses there, it's striking to me how there's a strong emphasis on the love of God, shown to thousands, down the generations, and how we love to take our stand on that. Of course we do. But also mention of the holiness of God, that he must punish sin. Actually, Thank God that he takes evil and wrongdoing seriously. Actually, the love of God is made more wonderful, not less, by the fact that he's a holy God and he deals with our sins seriously. So we need that truer, deeper knowledge of God that the Bible can give us. And I would be mistaken if I didn't point us on to that first reading we had that says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If God is beyond us and outside this world, invisible in that sense, how wonderful that he's made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. We can look at Jesus and see God because he was God and is God to this day. He is the image of God, that we so poorly model in one sense. Since the fall in the world, we bear God's image, but it's marred. We don't reign over creation properly as we ought. But in the life of Jesus Christ, you see a picture of how God looks after and rules his world perfectly. He strides through the world, putting wrong to right, loving people, giving his life, in service on the cross, bearing our sin. It's a wonderful, wonderful pointer to what God is like that knocks for six, if I can put it like that, all the images, all the untruths we so easily come up with about Almighty God. So worship him. I want to reinstate the worship of Jesus Christ in my life. And I want to encourage you to do so. He is so much more wonderful than the comfort blanket gods that we come up with. I was saying at the wedding yesterday what a striking image it was to have on Thursday afternoon as the news of the Queen's death was breaking, to have that rainbow behind Buckingham Palace and I think also at Windsor Castle as well. And the news cameras obviously found it a powerful image, But it's especially powerful if you know what the rainbow symbolizes in the Bible. It comes from Genesis chapter 9, after the waters of the flood have receded. God covenants with all creation there. He makes a promise that that kind of universal flood will not happen again. Now, you need both rain and sunlight to make a rainbow. And a rainbow captures the two aspects of the knowledge of god which are there in our command the dark aspect of judgment which is quite simply a fact of human existence in a fallen world darkness and death is written into our existence as a result of humanity's sin any true knowledge of god has to take account of that holy aversion to sin and evil sooner or later Death comes to all of us. But thank God for the sunlight of God's covenant love as well. He shows love to thousands who know him and follow his commandments. And what we saw on Thursday, writ large in the sky, it wasn't appointed to a special relationship God has with our nation. It was better still than that. It is a global invitation to anyone, anywhere in God's creation to enjoy a special covenant relationship with God himself. that was something which apparently our late queen knew for herself. And there on Thursday evening was a pointer to an eternal jubilee, which she now enjoys with her savior. And that is open to all of us. If we will only cast away our idols... And cast ourselves on the mercy of Jesus, the true image of God, who tasted death for us. Let's pray that we will do so. Lead us all afresh to honour and worship the true image, uh, the Lord Jesus We pray that, Heavenly Father, knowing how you love to make yourself known to us in him. And we pray that we would know him better and love him more. For his name's sake. Amen.